This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Going in Circles. It's Tuesday. This is supposed to be a live show. But we are having some technical difficulties. So if you're hearing this at this point, you have uh, heard the taped version as we're having a hard time getting onto the Blog Talk Radio sites so that people can listen live. But we are going to tape the show. We're going to um, have their, our guests as scheduled and, and uh, we're going to just go keep on keeping on. Um, unfortunately, last week we weren't able to have a show because... I didn't have uh, vehicle trouble with one vehicle. I had vehicle trouble with two vehicles. So it just uh, it wasn't possible. So we uh, we postponed until this week, and now we're having some, some more technical difficulties. But uh, the show will go on, and we will have it up on the Internet afterwards uh, so that people can listen. And like I said, if you're listening now, you're, you're already listening to the tape version. So... Um, there's a lot going on in racing this week, uh, the next few weeks, certainly leading up to the Breeders' Cup. We have a an October Preakness, which was drawn yesterday, and we're going to go over uh, the Preakness and some of the undercard races uh, with two of our guests coming up. We have uh, Tom Connell, who's a longtime owner and uh, has produced uh, public handicapping tip sheets and, and such, and... Uh, Tom is, is going to uh, tell us some some stories, and, and uh, we're going to get his opinion on the Preakness and a couple of the other races. Uh, following him up is going to be jockey agent Jason Bidas, who we had on uh, during a hurricane, and he uh, he was a trooper that day and tried to uh, tried to get uh, get through the segment, but um, he kept losing power, and uh, that was kind of a interrupted segment so we're going to have him back and and he's uh, going to look at at some of the races the undercard races um and the preakness itself and kind of give us an update on his jockey Jose Lescano who had a, a big day had a winner in the um the Vosburg the now the grade 2 Vosburg on Saturday with uh Frenzy Fire who's uh a, a, a Kind of an inconsistent sort, but on, on his best, he does like Belmont, and he did run well on, on Saturday. And we're also going to have on our show, and she's probably not going to do any handicapping, but Kimberly Weir, who works for the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation Wallkill facility, and she's going to talk to us about what they're doing there, um, kind of describe um, their program they have Wallkill is is connected to uh, the Blackburn Correctional Facility, which um, is I think a, a whatever the word would be lower level type of of prison minimum security, and they have a program where the inmates take care of the horses, kind of a, a dual rehabilitation where the inmates get to learn a skill and and get to take care of. Um, these these um, retired horses and the horses get um, you know great care and and and, uh, and you know get phased into the next stage of their career from the racetrack to uh, to whatever job that they're going to to be in. 
Uh, so they're having a fundraiser on October uh, 20th, I believe. Um, it's it's going to be a virtual fundraiser this year because of the the issues. And she's going to come and she's going to give us a um, kind of an overview of, of what's going to happen there. And, and, and uh, we'll talk about... Um, you know the good things that they're doing there, and uh, they they do do good things. And um, we have a lot of problems in our business, and and a, you know I talk about it a lot. But uh, we do sometimes fail to to recognize that there are a lot of uh, people that are volunteering tremendous amounts of time, people to put up a lot of money to take care of 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 the horses, and in the end. That's that's our chief responsibility because the horses can't take care of themselves, and uh, the TRF and so many other um, retirement uh, rescues and, and such uh, do a great job. I, I know some some people uh, who do a great job that aren't affiliated with uh, any official groups. They, they do it on their own, and um, the work they do is. Uh, is necessary and and it's uh, inspiring in, in a lot of ways because they're they're not doing it to make money, they're doing it to um, do the right thing and and take care of, of our of our race horses after they they no longer um, are able to race. Uh, today, kind of the news of the day. Uh, yesterday's kind of news of the day was uh, outside the Preakness Stroll was. The word came down from Saratoga that Midnight Bisu was um, Midnight Bisu worked and came out of her work with uh, a, a little bit of unsoundness, um, and she was sent to Rudin Riddle in Lexington for a full evaluation. But the odds that uh, that she's going to run again are, are extremely slim. Um, thankfully, it, it it doesn't appear to be a major injury of any sort, and she was scheduled to be sold at auction this uh, November. So she was probably looking at one or two more races before the end of her career. Uh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, unfortunately, but fortunately... Um, there wasn't uh, anything catastrophic that that happened to her, and um, like uh, it, it's that <laughs> big distaff showdown that, that loomed a month ago with possibly with the two three-year-olds, uh, Gamine and Swiss Skydiver and Midnight Bisu and um, uh, Monomoy Girl, of course seems like it's it's starting to thin out as Gamine is being redirected towards sprint races which she really should be able to excel at. Squish side divers uh, she lost a little luster um, running second in the Oaks where she didn't run a bad race but she um, she was clearly second best so um, I know that, uh, you know, it's hard to criticize a horse with her record, but um, you wonder at some point, will all the travel and hard races catch up to her? Because uh, she she has kind of danced every dance, and um, the connections are to be commended for 
for taking that approach. We don't see that often enough anymore, but at the, by the same token, you do have to wonder if there is a point where she's going to start to tail off a little bit. Um, I don't know if we're there yet, but uh, she's in the Preakness, so so she better have her running shoes on because there's uh, a couple f- horses in there, namely Authentic and our collector, especially who who are who are really good horses and are probably better than the fillies she's been running against. Uh, art collector kind of dusted her already once, so um, it, it was a little bit of an unusual spot, but. Uh, it, it kind of adds some intrigue to the race. Um, very unusual crew of jockeys for the for a Preakness. Not saying that they're not all uh, you know competent good jockeys, but uh, when you look at the the lineup, because of so much um, going on, so much stakes activity going on, the Keeneland starting, that uh, only a few jockeys were willing to give up. Uh, a week at Keeneland or, you know, the the card in, in New York at Belmont to ride uh, on the Preakness undercard. And I'll be honest, I, I'll give uh, Sal Sinatra and his crew a lot of credit because the Preakness undercard is, is a pretty solid card of races. And um, it, it's an, it, it's it's nice that uh, to see that they have a, a good card of racing and ho- hopefully they're strongly supported handle wise because it's kind of um it's um it's a shame that uh that the preakness isn't going to be run with the usual gigantic crowd and, and party in the infield and um maryland racing derives a, a ton of revenue from preakness weekend and the fact is that uh, a lot of that revenue is, is, is the, I mean, I shouldn't even say a lot of the revenue. A lot of the the revenue is just not going to be there because it's it's going to be strictly handled. And the 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 competition for uh, the simulcast signal on Saturday is going to be strong. And it's uh, it's great for racing fans. It's great if you're uh, you know looking to make some money wagering. Um, it's great for some of the Second-tier jockeys who are getting a chance to ride first-tier horses. It's, um, but it's going to be a, a blow to the Maryland racing community just because uh, the tremendous amount of revenue that's that's generated Preakness weekend is just not going to be there this year. And uh, hopefully, um, people support that the card because it, it is a good one. And, and we will talk to uh, to Tom and to Jason about uh, about the card and. Uh, some of the undercard races and get get some opinions, but uh, it, it's competitive racing and um, it's a strong undercard. It, it's uh, it's really um, I, I didn't want to sound pessimistic about it, but it exceeded my expectations. So we'll talk about that and um, a couple other things. Um, certainly, we'll get into the Preakness, which is. Uh, It's a little bit of a letdown um, from the Derby. I guess tis the law not coming back um, to to have a rematch with Authentic is disappointing, but understandable. Uh, I know that uh, people were a little bit critical, and we get that every time a horse needs a little time, we, we, we hear about, you know, the horses are weak, blah, 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 but... 
I mean, the horse had two mile and a quarter races in, in a four week period. And that's not an easy thing to do. Um, the Breeders' Cup Classic is certainly the uh, the bigger of the two races. It's I'm just I'm sorry. It just is a bigger race than the Preakness is, and I guess the you know Barkley and um, his team decided that uh, they'd rather take one big shot with the the Breeders' Cup going into the Classic with a fresh horse. And I'll be honest, I, I can't disagree with that uh, with that sentiment. Speaking of sentiment, Mr. Canella is on the line. Tom, are are you here? Hello, Tom. Casey, did we lose him? No, I can hear him in the background there. Tom, are you there? (laughs) He's giving us a little musical interlude. It's been one of those days. We've had technical issues. Now we have um, we have Tom on the line, but I don't know if Tom. Hang knows on one second. On. Let me pick him up and see what's going on. Sure. Yes, it's been uh, it's been a challenge. I'm not the most technically advanced person, and uh, when Casey has issues, then then I know that we're. We're going to have issues, but uh, Blog Talk Radio has given us fits in the past. Uh, Sometimes it, it's really it's relatively easy to use, except there are some times when it just simply doesn't connect. And one of the problems with these um, these technology companies is that it's very hard to get a live person to correct issues, and you're you're constantly kind of bumped around, but. Uh, do Let's we? try again, Chuck. Tom, are you there? Do, 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 do. <laughs> I don't think he knows he's on. He might have his uh, mute. No, well, he doesn't have his mute on because we can hear him. Um. <laughs> uh. Well, it's good that we're not live. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just uh, things happen, and I—I'll I, be honest. I have great respect for guys that do this every day. And, um, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, there's there are technical difficulties. There are issues. There are storms. There has issues with people's phones and connections and all, all sorts of um, all sorts of issues that. That crop up. We've had quite a few issues, and we've only been doing this since since May, and we've had uh, issues with phones and connections and weather and um, the app not not lining up. Or it's a uh, it's a uh, <laughs> uh, uh, well before Tom gets on. We do want to talk about the card at at, at, um, at Pimlico on Saturday. I, I also want to mention that Saturday is opening day of one of the most um, 
treasured meats that we have in this country. I'm talking not about Keeneland. I'm talking about Goldstream Park West, which has uh, its initial card Saturday. Um, I'm not sure what the status of fans are. I'm not sure why anyone would really want to go since there's no simulcasting, there's no amenities, there's no air conditioning, uh, the videos uh, is on delay. It's a uh, it's a tough place to watch a race, but um, it, we do have live racing, and uh, unfortunately, because of the statute in Florida regarding the um, the casino, uh, the the ability of the track to to have a casino means that there's 40 days of live racing have to be contested. And in order for Churchill to, the deal with, in order for Churchill to maintain their casino, they have, we have to have 40 days of racing at Calder. And, or Gulfstream Park West, or whatever you'd like to call it. So no one wants to run five days a week. And there's certainly the horse population will be taxed trying to get five cards a week. And they're going to be running short uh, cards on Wednesday and Thursday, but people have to understand that this is not the choice of Gulfstream. It's not the choice of um, the horsemen, and it's just one of those things there where Churchill is paranoid that if we don't run enough days, then their casino uh, license could possibly be suspended. Um, you know, dealing with the state, it's always a dicey... I can hear Chuck now. Oh, Tom, you can hear me. Tom. Yes, I can. All right, Tom. <laughs> You've been <laughs> here for... Your, I heard your technology discussion a little bit ago, and then you disappeared again. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's been a, uh, an issue lately, unfortunately. Technology, phones cutting out, uh, storms, all kinds of uh, things. Uh, our, our second guest, uh, Jason Bidas, was on a couple uh, weeks ago during a hurricane, and, and he kept coming in and coming out, and uh, eventually his he, he lost power at his house for a week. So, oh, so we we decided that we'd let him come back. But, um, uh, Tom, uh, introduce yourself to the, to the audience, and uh, uh, I've, I've basically said that, uh, you know, you've had a... Uh, a tout sheet and that you um, you've been a long time owner and, and kind of a public handicapper and you've been involved in the business uh, at least as a fan for for uh, for a long time and uh, you've seen a lot of different things and um, uh, you know you uh, that you'd be uh, uh, an interesting person to have on <laughs> well I my name is Tom Candle and uh, I'm an Ohio bred uh, been in Florida since 1996. Uh, played, I've been a baseball player most of my life. I played until I was age 59 in the Roy Hobbs World Series that they have over in West Palm every year. Uh, got into the horse business back in uh, 1996. Uh, prior to that, I had some media experience. I worked at Thistledown uh, up in their press box when I first got out of school. Uh, I've always been in the insurance industry, but my sidelights have always been pretty fun. I covered the Browns for Pro Football Weekly for 12 years until they moved to Baltimore. And uh, I did the Eastern League Indians games as a telecaster for about nine years before I moved down here. 
So, but you've been a um, you followed racing for for a while prior to 1996, correct? Oh yes, yes. 1970, 1978. I was at Thistledown. Uh, that was when Ed DeBartolo owned it, and it was a uh, it was interesting time because he would fly over from his malls in Youngstown, and he would actually land on the infield with his private plane. It, it, uh, the plane would have, land in the infield. Yeah, they land right in the infield. They used to do that at Waterford Park too. Larry Pilati will probably tell you. Back in the day, uh, the the uh, planes would come from Pittsburgh. They'd fly down the valley uh, uh, along the Ohio River, and uh, on a Saturday night, it was not unusual to see three or four planes land and park in the infield. Wow, that's that's <laughs> that's interesting. And they took off. They took off, uh, and then disappeared around kind of a giant mountain. Uh, they did that till about I think it was. Probably 1990, Anthony Agnello was flying out one day to go to another racetrack to race, and uh, the plane crashed and flipped into the river. Oh. And after that, they, they prohibited any, any more flights from coming in or out. But back in the day, it was really kind of cool to see the planes come down and, and uh, just put down into the infield area. Uh, now, see, uh, that's something I never knew. Uh, I, I remember um, when I was working at uh, Yonkers, uh, Yonkers, the harness track, the proximity to the Meadowlands is, is you know, if, if you're going over everything, it's it's really close. And on Saturday nights, sometimes the drivers would pool together money and um, they'd kind of go back and forth across across the river to ride the, to drive a couple at the Meadowlands. And they'd, they'd come to Yonkers and they would drive a couple there. And one of my first duties when I worked at Yonkers was to drive the golf cart out to pick the drivers up to bring them to the paddock. <laughs> But uh, one day they they got me to go over, and I got to be honest, riding in a helicopter is not something that I think I would want to do a lot. It's it's uh, you feel like you're at the mercy of of uh, well, you're you're at the mercy of the wind, but uh, it's uh, it's it's a complete. I don't even know how to describe it, but uh, well, my helicopter days ended when I left the army, and I was at Fort Campbell, and uh, trust me, you know, I don't I wouldn't. I know it's, I know a lot of the people use it as, as means of transportation, but you couldn't pay me to get on a helicopter today. There was a race. The, I think it was the United Nations Handicap when it was still held at Atlantic City. And this has got to be in the 90s. And there was a bunch of New York jockeys. Jerry Bailey and I think uh, maybe Cordero was still riding. and uh, They were scheduled to ride in, in the, the, the UN Handicap. They were going to take a helicopter from New York City. Um, you know, from Belmont to, uh, to Atlantic City for the race, and um, they had some bad weather rolled in, and they weren't able to. The, the helicopter wouldn't fly, and I remember. I mean, at this time, Atlantic City was a a C class meet at best. I mean, you're talking about maiden specials that were eleven thousand things like that. So, you, you know, you didn't have um, uh, you know top type riders there. So. I, it was on uh, ESPN. Chris Lincoln was still doing the um, the, the telecasts on ESPN, and uh, uh, Tyrone Carter was riding the favorite. And uh, uh, there was a couple guys who just, you know, they, they wouldn't ride in, in five hundred thousand dollars worth of purses for three weeks. It would take them to, to ride in, in, in that, and uh, they wound up riding in this this big race. And uh, it was kind of reminded me of the Preakness when I looked yesterday at the entries and I saw. 
quite a few names, some of the local riders that are, that wouldn't generally ride in, in a race like the Preakness, but because of all the the COVID issues and because that Keeneland is, is open and, and has a big card and, and uh, this weekend and New York as well, um, you're, you only really saw Johnny Velasquez come from New York and uh, uh, Joe Bravo and, and uh, Paco Lopez uh, came in from uh, from Monmouth and a couple of the guys, uh, Jero and uh, Brian Hernandez came in from Kentucky, but the rest are, are, are local riders and uh, it's it's kind of nice to see these guys get an opportunity to ride in these races. I don't think any of them are riding horses that that look like serious threats, but uh, uh, you know it's it's a it might be a once in a lifetime thing, but it's um it's kind of a an interesting X factor. Yeah, well, you know, I've been listening over the the weeks you guys have been on, and plenty of talk about how convoluted this series of races has turned out to be, and. You know, but going back to the usual derby horses where you have the young unknowns and the untesteds uh, right up to the point where you have the derby last time. And I think this was a problem for uh, the favorite. Uh, I can't remember the last time you saw a horse run in the derby that had prepped in a mile and a quarter race in his previous race. Yeah. Uh, you you I... might have to go back to Canyonero the second. <laughs> To find that a horse that had gone a mile and a quarter before the Derby. That 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 actually might be true. Uh, I, I don't I don't remember. I, I wasn't quite old enough to uh, to recall. That was nineteen seventy one. You were probably a glimmer. Yes, um, that was not. Uh, I was not yet in my prime. But um, <laughs> I, I believe honestly, I believe that that's one of the reasons why they chose to skip this race was because they had two tough mile and a quarter races within a, a four week period, and coming back to the you know, a month later in the Preakness and then coming back a month later, going back to a mile and a quarter. Um, it just, it's not, the modern horse just doesn't seem suited to do that kind of schedule. And uh, I, I guess, I mean, Barkley seemed immediately after the Derby to be interested in, in, in skipping the Preakness. I mean, it wasn't like he took a couple of days to think about it. I mean, he essentially... Uh, obviously, was really disappointed after the Derby, but he he kind of made the you know I doubt we'll go to the Preakness, and then I, I know that there was a little you know consternation from the owners uh, who who kind of preferred the Preakness, but uh, in the end, you know Barkley won out, and that's it, probably the right thing. And um, yeah, and and I think Squish Skydiver ran into the same problem. She prepped for the uh, Oaks uh, by running in the Amsterdam, uh, the Alabama. And uh, that was a mile and a quarter, and I think that dulled her a bit. Yeah, and and she was off of a shorter layoff because she ran a day before, and she ran a week after the, the Travers, and she ran a day before the, the the Derby. So her turnaround was was really was really a, a, a um, quick. And, and like you said, the, we don't see many opportunities this these days where horses are cutting back from a mile and a quarter just because there's very few dirt mile and a quarter races. Yeah, and Max Player is the—he's the one guy in here who's coming off the two mile and a quarter races to run here on Saturday. You know, I've always kind of thought that he was just a kind of a cut below the the top horses in, in the the class. He seems like he's a horse who kind of uh, clunks up a little bit. He, he kind of sits, sits, makes a little move, never really threatens. But I think he's an interesting horse in here because. Uh, you know, Asmussen's had him for a month now. He he did drill him pretty good coming into this race. He seems pretty optimistic about him. 
And he's one of those horses, if we get some kind of speed duel, because Zafi Joseph has been pretty... Um, uh, he's been pretty... He seems like he wants to be up closer to the lead. He sat second length off the lead last time, so I don't know how much closer you can get. But his horse might be sent out of there. And with our collector drawing inside of Authentic, my question to Brian Hernandez would be, how much are you going to make Johnny work to get to the lead? Are you or, or are you just going to concede it and just try to um, take up a stalking position second? Um, well, I think if you if you look at Authentic, does all of his work on the front end. So if you if you let him, you know, you let him clear and you let him open up, you know, he's shown that he's very difficult to catch. He's going to have Swiss uh, Skydiver's probably going to be in that first flight. Uh, and, you know, I think there's going to be a couple of horses pushing the pace, but I don't think they can let Authentic get you know get up and go. And uh, and, and and you know, obviously that uh, Tis the Law couldn't catch him, couldn't stay with him once he gave him you know once he was able to to take the lead in the uh, in the Derby. And I just think if Authentic's going to win, and he's obviously the, he's the new he's the new hot you know it horse. Uh, how many ta- how many horses do you think we could make a list of that were it horses since April? <laughs> this is true. I-, I honestly think some of the tactics in the Derby were because people questioned his ability to go a mile and a quarter, and they thought yes. he was going to come back to him if he's had any kind of decent pace. And the pace wasn't uh, it wasn't dawdling, but it wasn't blazing either. I mean, he did it pretty comfortably. And I think that that's a new dynamic now. Now that going into this race, it's clear that he can get that distance, especially yeah, well, if given the uh, lead. In all of his races, he'd only gone faster in a mile, and that was back in June in the, uh, at Belmont. In the Belmont, uh, uh, talking about Max Player, he's 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 shown some speed early in that race. Authentic, you know, he's he's had the lead. What one thirty five, one thirty seven, one thirty six in the mile, one thirty five in the Derby, one ten for three quarters. You know that was picking it up and laying it down in two minutes and uh, and three fifths. You know that's very respectable when you look at the history of the times. It is. You know, it's funny because I looked at the PPs last night quick, and we had done a show. I did a show with Barry last night, and we kind of went through the field relatively quickly, and. And, you know, to me, an interesting horse, and, and people will probably think I'm nuts, but I think Accession is a horse that, that you need to use in numbers because his style is to close. Um, you know, he, he's he's kind of um, a one-run closer. He, he's kind of the Mr. Big News of this race, and, and he hasn't run in a while. He hasn't run since March, and he had surgery after that race. But Nadal was thought of as one of the Best yeah, horses, he was the, the horse back yes. then in April. And this horse, this horse really, um, I mean, he, he, he made him work. He made a, he made a big run, and, and he, got, um, he got in a little bit of trouble, uh, and he was drifting out in the stretch. And, uh, you know, him and, of course, Nadal came out of the race with an issue as well. But he's the type of horse, he's going to sit in the back, and he's going to save ground. And, you know, if, if we get a, a little quicker pace, because, you know, with our, like I said, our collector, Swiss Skydiver, Thousand Words, New York Traffic, Authentic, all want to be on the lead or close to the lead. So, you know, the, like I said, the odds are that this pace is going to be a little bit different than, than, um, 
than what we had seen. And and even the you know live your beast life, uh, he he made a nice little run last race in the Jim Dandy, which I did not think that was that, that highly of a rated of a race. But he's shown speed before, so he has post eleven, and and I'm not sure what their plan is going to be. Maybe they're going to duck in and be in the second tier, but uh, it, it looks like there's there's plenty of pace in the race and. Um, you know, if you're looking for a stranger to make your number, I mean, because if you just bet, uh, uh, you know, you box Baffert's two with the uh, art collector, you're not looking at a big number here. No, in fact, I've, I'm using four horses, not in any particular order on my boxes. I'm using art collector, authentic Swiss skydiver, so there's, that's not exactly rocket science. But I'm throwing pneumatic in as my bomb. Yeah, I, I see uh, some people on, on social media trying to make a case for him. And uh, like it wouldn't be the the most shocking thing in the world, but I don't know that um, I just don't know if he's good enough. That that's just my question with him. In that he, yeah, I think well, except for authentic uh, and uh, you know everybody else, you step back and you wonder a thousand words. What would have happened if he'd have run in the Derby? Yeah, right. I mean, it's, you just you just don't have any you don't have any feel for you know your horse you like uh, uh, as, as your upset special that was the uh, the one horse except. yeah yeah I mean I, listen yeah. I'm not gonna come out I'm not dumb enough to say he's gonna win I'm just trying to get him you know the one thing about these big races is that um. You get a lot of uh, dumb money in them, unlike most of our races that that uh, these days, where there's you know when you're talking maybe a third or more of the money is is played by algorithm players. That there's not too much dumb money there, but yeah. I think people in these big races tend to really pound the favorites, and you're you're all if you can get a stranger in there, the 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 exotics will pay higher because people are are going to bet. They're going to box the familiar horses, the horses that have run in the bigger races that yes. that they, they they know. And, I mean, this is a horse that's been completely off everyone's radar. I don't even know if Steve really wants to run the horse because it, it's a Calumet horse, and Calumet loves to run in big races, and they don't care if they're a million to one. So um, you, you wonder sometimes if this actually was the trainer's plan because it is, it's quite a... Um, it's quite a tough spot for a comeback horse hasn't run since March, but a horse with his style where he just, you know, kind of lopes along early and finishes late. I, I like those horses in, in these long layoff races far better than I would like a speed horse who's going to have to run every step of it. I agree. And, and, and uh, you know, a thousand words is going to have, you know, rarely at the half mile pole is he looking behind, you know, is he looking uh, back for anybody he's he's right up there so i, I think you're I, gonna honestly, see more speed you can see more speed than maybe we anticipate and uh you know i who knows like i said authentic obviously the hot horse the it horse for this particular week or the now horse but uh you know it, it's it's he's got to be that he's got to be out front it, it doesn't you know he does not run from behind you know it's funny you know talk about a thousand words in it I had no opinion on him in the Derby. I really had no opinion, and I'm, I'm I'm like I really don't know what this horse is about because the one win he has um, this year, well, he, he won the the, the Robert Lewis, um, you know, but the the Robert Lewis came back a, a really weak race. Nobody came out of that race and did anything after that. 
And then he kind of went really off form, and uh, he came back and and he and he won the um, the shared belief uh, on the lead where he beat uh, Honor AP, which was a huge huge up. To Honor AP was a major favorite in that race, and he went to the lead and he kind of had um, you know soft fractions, but he he hung on really well and he looks like a horse that was was you know kind of trending up and i just don't know i just don't know you know he he's he's to me i i really have no idea where he would finish it wouldn't shock me if he won the race but i don't like him to win the race you know no, but i think ones. he could be a spoiler up front uh, the problem is they went 112 uh, for three quarters in the shared belief. Yeah, he got an easy lead that day, and that yeah, that was I mean, the race uh, where, where Mike Smith kind of got lost with Honor AP and was kind of wide the whole race. And you know, sometimes the, those and, short and, field know, races turn out to be screwy races because it's not like a, a you can see everybody, and it's not like a normal race. You know, you just uh, I mean, we kind of saw that a little bit in the Awesome again this past weekend at California, where um, you know, maximum security got stuck three wide in between horses, and Victor Espinosa, for uh, reasons known only to Victor Espinosa, decided to be four wide in a five horse field. Um, yeah. behind you know so- a race that looked like it was going to have a solid pace, and uh, it's set up perfectly. But it, it just is uh, sometimes in these short field races that things you know I think guys overthink it too. I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. Well. I- as a wise trainer, as you were probably known at one time. Uh, <laughs> one time. <laughs> Once, uh, one time, want, one day. <laughs> three or four or five lengths is all you want to be back in a race. Yeah. Uh, in a general, you know, as a general rule of thumb, you, do, do you buy into that? Well, Pimlico has been playing speed since. Uh, I mean, it only opened a couple of days ago, but um, it, it's been it's been favoring speed. Um, so. You know, it's very frustrating to me, and like, like we we were on the board of FHVPA, and and the first couple of years, how many, how much time was spent talking about the racetrack? You know, oh, it's not in Panatum. It's right. It's it's it's. Uh, we have these this phenomenon of big days. The racetrack's getting faster, and uh, it's you know, I don't know. I, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand why people. Why a racetrack would think that that they need to speed the track up for the better days? It would seem to be they'd rather be better off having a a, a, a consistent track that's fair. But um, but it'll be interesting to see. And, and if and if like the track is fast, yes, you do not want to be too far out of it. Um, yeah, I don't see anybody looping the field here. But uh, it's it's kind of a you know it's not it's not a bad race. I, I'll be honest. I thought the card itself, um, I know you've looked over the card, I thought it was a, a really nice card of racing, and they kind of condensed the whole week, it's races, into a Saturday card, because obviously there's no fans, and, and they're trying to to get as much you know handle as they can out of the race, sure, because they're, sure. they're just going to you know get killed uh, losing all the, the revenue of the 80,000 people running around the infield, but uh, I thought the, um, the Black Eyed Susan, you know, which usually is run the day before, uh, I, I think it's a really competitive race, and I know Bonnie South, who is uh, the Brad Cox horse who finished second in the Alabama, the Swiss Skydiver, is going to be the favorite in there. But outside of her, there are a lot of horses that you could make a, a, a decent case for in that race. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, probably going back into that race, the skydiver would have been a big choice. But they decided to swing over and take on the boys. Yeah, Swiss uh, skydiver would be three to five in the Black Eyed yeah, season. Yeah, easily. Uh, you know, and, and, it, and I think that's a, you know, we talk about owners, you know, taking, taking chances. That, that's a big ask to bring that horse over here now after after uh, the last two races that she's had and, uh, and, and put them against the boys again. Listen, I know Kenny McPeak for a long time. Kenny loves the spotlight. And I, I commend them for their, their campaign with this horse. Uh, I, I said that in kind of my opening remarks in that they shouldn't be criticized. They should be commended because too often horses these days have four or five race seasons. And, and that doesn't do any good for anyone this two months in between races. Um, she's, she's run everywhere. I mean, since... Last fall, she ran at Churchill. January, she ran at Tampa. February, she ran at Fairgrounds. March, she ran at Gulfstream. May, she ran at Oaklawn. June, she ran at Santa Anita. July, she ran at Keeneland. August, she ran at Saratoga. September, she ran at Churchill. And now, in October, she's going to run at Pimlico. I mean, that's that is that's a season that we used to see. Yeah, that's um, a serious campaign. Like you said, every every month since February. Every month and, and at a different track, um, Florida, Louisiana, back to Florida, Arkansas, um, California, Kentucky, New York, back to Kentucky, now to Maryland, yep. and um, and she's shown oh, up oh, every time. Only off the board one time in her life, 10 starts, only off the board once, and that was the race at Tampa back in January. Yes, and, 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 and she got a, a really, really tough trip, and... Still got got beat less than a length to to win the race, um, so that that was uh, <laughs> that that you can certainly forgive her for that. But this is an old style campaign, and you know we're not unfortunately we're old enough to, to remember um, when a horse running nine or ten times a season wasn't um, an unusual thing. It was it was kind of the norm. Yeah, um, once a month. So like I, I don't want to hate on the horse. I don't want to like root against the horse. I just can't bet on her. <laughs> That's the thing. And, and honestly, and I know it's got a lot of, there's been a lot of talk in the last 24 hours about, um, about Robbie Alvarado being named uh, to ride her. And, um, you know, apparently um, the rider who he had booked <laughs> decided that, that he didn't like the chances in the race and they were going to, you know, they didn't want to give up a week at Keeneland. So, I, which is understandable. I mean, she's not going to be five to two in this race. She's probably going to be seven, eight to one. So, yeah, probably the third or fourth choice. Yeah. So, I, I get it. You know, you don't want to give up a, your your money meet for um, for one you know one horse and in, in one race where she's not going to be one of the favorites. But uh, it was kind of an interesting choice. Um, I know that Kenny and Robbie have had the success in the past. Uh, past being. Um, being the key word there is, is Robbie just has not done very well over the last uh, the last few years. Um, you know, he had some legal issues. He had some, you know, some stuff. And uh, I think he even got hurt at one point. But um, he's a capable rider. And it, it's, it's going to be an interesting race because, like you said, there's so many speed and stalker types in the race that, Getting a, a good position and getting a good trip is going to be a key thing, and and how it all works out is is really kind of the, to me the intriguing part about this race is is how easy 
are they going to make it on authentic or how tough are they going to make it on authentic? Because if you could, if you knew that you could really, um, it, it affects everything. The whole race has, has changed. I agree. I mean, I agree. It's, I just think there's going to be a cluster of horses, one through four, kind of knocking each other on each other's doorway as they go turn into the back. And then, like you said, it's going to be a, it's going to be a trip race from that point. I don't see too much coming from the back to loop the the first group, so I think it's just going to be the, the survivor of the fittest on the first in the first uh, in the first section. Yeah, you know, I, it was I was looking at the undercard, Tom, and, and uh, there there are several really good races. I thought the first race was was a really intriguing race. I, I you know you open up the the well now we we don't open up the form we open up our computers. <laughs> and you know, I look. You look, and and uh, in the first race of the day, the Salima, which is for uh, two-year-old fillies, which is, is a, obviously be a Breeders' Cup prep. Um, the first two horses are horses that just broke their maiden at Kentucky Downs a week apart, and the third horse is uh, a Grand Motion horse that broke his maiden at Saratoga. And I mean, you know, you look at those three, and you can you can throw a blanket over them, and that, that's before you even get to the rest of the field. I mean, it's just a an excellent race to start the day off, and. Uh, um, there, there's the sprint race is a, is a big field. It's, it looks competitive. The turf races, um, the, uh, the the hilltop looks like a, an excellent race. Uh, it, it's really a really good card, and uh, I, I, like well, I said, it's it's got a lot of quality in it. It, it makes you wonder, you know, is there going to be a negative effect in four weeks at the Breeders' Cup with these horses that are campaigning so much and so close? Well, we're going to find out. It's uh, it's a uh, it's a strange year. It's there's just no other way of, of putting it. It's just uh, there's so many variables and um, it's 2020. <laughs> it just gets it just gets. You can crazy. say that in a nutshell. It, I saw a good one the other day where Doc Brown was starting telling Marty McFly when he was getting into the DeLorean, anywhere but 2020. No kidding. What what about uh, you know you have a couple horses with Ronnie Spatz. Uh, uh, yeah, we've got a couple. Of, we we have a two-year-old that broke her maiden. Uh, uh, it's a get stormy uh, uh, filly, and she uh, she won off by six lengths, uh, going two turns on the turf. Uh, we were trying. To, we were in the uh, we were in the uh, the last race on Saturday, which was uh, one of the seventy-five thousand overnight stakes. But uh, it came off the turf with the late rain Saturday afternoon. So we're looking forward to getting her back and and, and finding out really. What she's all about. Uh, we've got a good, hard-knocking four-year-old filly named uh, Sky Chaser, who has uh, won, I think, four, maybe five times. She's pretty much a one-mile, uh, one-turn mile horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in for uh, on Sunday as an MTO. So, uh, and and the down so the horse Saturday because they came off the turf. We lost the horse Sunday because it stayed on the turf. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which is which is racing in South Florida, yeah. uh, but you know going into you know going across town now to Calder it's going to be a whole other ball game. Yeah, yeah, everything's everything changes a lot more. Two turn dirt races and obviously the well, it's a two different, turns over di- there too. Different and, uh, turf course, so. Uh, but it's it's you know it's fun to have. Uh, I guess I was I started out in Bill White's barn back in two thousand and six. We bought a horse from Don Disney. And a nice, nice little uh, running colt by the name of Some Sound, and uh, I've been on the board down there for twelve years. I'm the, the longest tenured board member. I think 
my wife would like to see that uh, you should get not me see that extended too much longer. You should get a medal. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 been an interesting time down there. It's a great place to be, great place to race. Uh, you know, it's uh, there's been a turnover down there in the, in the Gulf Stream uh, uh, hierarchy throughout the that 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 period of time. You know, Timmy was down there, and then you know PJ was there. And now Mike Lake Allen. And Billy Badgett, who I have to say is probably one of the nicest guys in racing and also a guy who really gets it. Uh, I know we were real happy when he was our executive director for that year before he decided to return to Gulfstream. But uh, Billy Badgett is, is one of the main reasons I think that Gulfstream will continue to succeed. Yeah, Billy uh, gets uh, – I've given him a lot of credit on the air uh, for keeping it going. And I think that had had we shut down – um, when this COVID thing first happened, when the the local authorities were were really kind of putting the the heat on us to shut down, Billy worked uh, amazingly hard and, and um, to keep it going and and put the protocols in that were followed by a lot of other racetracks and was kind of a template for other tracks to 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 keep going or to open back up. But uh, we missed one day one day um of racing during the entire um pandemic and we've raced right through um so everywhere else, everyone else that was open during the beginning of the pandemic will rogers foner oaklawn and tampa all closed because their meets ended but we have you know we've persevered and and uh, and i think billy deserves a tremendous amount of credit for for uh literally almost fighting these people to keep it going and and to try to explain to them the gravity of the situation if they were to shut it down and how we can do it safely which it has been which has happened so uh yes it, it's, uh, uh, it's a great credit, thing they've been able to run this like you said virtually non-stop from the start of it and uh, uh people pay attention i was down there saturday and you know people are staying apart and they, their masks on and they're doing you know they're doing what they're doing because they know if they don't it, it, it could affect the overall ability to keep the races going Yep, that's right. Well, Tom, think I appreciate uh, you giving us some of your time, and uh, good luck with over at Gulfstream Park West with your 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 horses, and uh, uh, good luck on Saturday trying to find some winners. Hey, Chuck, I appreciate talking with you, and I pre- I, I really congratulate you on the uh, podcast. Good luck, and uh, hopefully by the next time we talk, uh, we'll have some winners to talk about. There we go. Thank you. That was Tom Connell. Tom's a really, really good guy, and uh, uh, I enjoyed working with him on on the board when I was was on the board. And it's a, it, it's 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 one of those jobs that you never get any credit for. It's like um, everybody just complains. Everything you you do and you try to do and try to accomplish, everybody just points out the things that you didn't get done. But uh, but Tom has has been uh, like you said, twelve years on the board, so. Um, you know, it's given a lot of time. Uh, speaking of time, it's time for Jason. Jason, are you there? Hey, Chuck. No. Good weather today. Good weather today, buddy. No hurricane. <laughs> Just got in from playing a little basketball. <laughs> yeah, we we had to check the uh, the the wind meter to make sure there wasn't any uh, any hurricanes or tornadoes or floods or any other. Uh, Weather issues since last time we had John. Rain. We had a sloppy track while we were playing basketball. Uh, the track was sloppy. Well, yeah. you know. Well, I don't think you guys do a whole lot of moving around, right? You do a lot of shooting. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
on a horse, ride around the world. <laughs> well, hey, listen, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with getting a little uh, off day exercise. Yeah, well, we had to get a big week of sports started. You know, we got a big week of sports here. It was kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> the Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA Finals, the college football, pro football, uh, the golf tournaments, the French Open tennis tournament is this week. Um, it's uh, and, and the Preakness. I mean, it's just uh, zero to sixty. It, it, yeah, right. We went for a couple months where where there was nothing, and and now uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm sitting there watching Korean baseball. <laughs> <laughs> don't, yeah. know, don't know any of the players. Don't know how any about of the coaches, you know? ping pong. How about a little ping pong? <laughs> oh man! But um, you guys had a big winner on Saturday. You're the. If anyone doesn't know, Jason's the uh, the agent for Jose Lescano, and they um, they won the the Vosburg with Forensic Fire. Yeah, no, Fire. that was a big win. Big win for Forensic Fire. He he showed up big on the day. And uh, huge credit going out to Kelly Breen, who, you know, just had him spot on. And his team over there of uh, John Atfield, his assistant, and his exercise rider, uh, Jose Martinez. Uh, they just did a great job with this horse. And also want to thank uh, Ron Lombardi, the owner. Jason, is there anybody else? That's about it, Chuck. What about the breeder? Uh... He's a homebred, right? No, I think yeah, he is yeah, a homebred. A Mr. Homebred. Is that so that's Mr. Thank, is that a we Mr. Thank Ron Lombardi? Yes, for for not only for 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 um, riding you on the horse, but for breeding the horse. Absolutely, for, I mean he's a son of Poseidon's warrior. Who would have thought? Well, Poseidon's warrior was a pretty good horse himself. Yeah, he was a damn good horse, but he's not much of a sire, Chuck. You know, he is a son of Spitestown, though. It, 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 it is funny that um, that that so many. I think people don't realize how how few sires actually are good. <laughs> that almost yeah, all true. of the sires that go to stud fail. Almost all of them, and it doesn't matter how what their pedigree is or what their race record is. Most of them don't make it, and and it's it's kind of crazy that an into mischief becomes what he did, or even Warfront. When you look at Warfront, he was a dead sprinter on the dirt, and. Now he, he's like he, he gets these European turf horses and or City Zip. I mean, oh. you remember City Zip, right? I mean, he never ran Absolutely, on the turf. Yeah. They didn't have turf. Oh uh, no, back he, then. he did like, run on the turf. Did he? Truck. He ran in the Breeders' Cup turf mile. Did he? I don't recall. Yeah, I, I mean, he didn't run that well. He might have been fifth. I'd have to look that up. But that that horse, saw, he was an iron horse. He he was he was a crooked little horse, and he winds up being this this really solid sire. And and I mean the ones that I had, I had mostly, I had quite a few because I like buying them because they didn't, they didn't, you didn't have to spend a lot of money for city zips, it, you know. The, the, They're sound, you the know, good ones, but he, they he ran. Was, he didn't produce a big horse. No. And they were able to stay sound, and they were durable animals. But the mo- the most success I had was like going a mile on the grass, and yeah. it just goes to show you that there's there's so much. It's such an inexact science that that. Um, you you just don't know, uh, you know who who's going to be the the the. I mean, you look at Tappet, right? I mean, you go back yeah. and look at the year uh, the Tappet ran. He he was about the ninth best three year old that year, and and the and now he turns out to be this this 
you know, tremendous sire. And, and, uh, yeah, there was no way you could have guessed that. Anybody that said that they knew Taffet was going to be the sire that he turned out to be is not telling the truth. No, I, I remember a friend of mine offered me, uh, or, or not, not really me, but more if I had a client that was interested in buying a share of him. And it wasn't that much money, Jay. It was like forty-five. It was like forty-five thousand or forty thousand. I and, bet you wish you did it. Yeah. Well, I was about thirty-nine thousand shy, but um, <laughs> you should have called me. It, it just goes to show you that uh, yeah, if, if we had bought him, he'd turn out to be like uh, you know Tappet's Revenge yeah. or some horse that stands in New Mexico. <laughs> it would have been the next mongoose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We we'd have had a, a stallion that stands for two hundred thousand. We'd have some five thousand claiming mare. Yeah. We want to breed our mare. <laughs> we. Yeah, that's we, the whole key, Chuck. Is like. The stallions, who are they? Who are they bred to? You know, who are the mares that they're getting? I mean, that you know, that gives them the, the opportunity to become that you know great stallion. I'll tell you what, it, and there's so many different ways of doing it too. If you think about Jason, worked for me when I, Jason was my first employee. Me and Jason went to Kentucky when I first started training, and it was Jason and me. We started out; that was all we had. Me, you, thirteen horses. We uh, did okay. Too. We we did okay, but. Um, you know, we work for a, a guy, Mr. Ramsey, who has been the leading breeder. The fact that he's been the leading owner is not surprising. He has a ton of horses. He loves the race. I mean, he loves the game. And just the sheer volume of horses that he has is not that surprising for him to be the leading owner in the country. What was surprising, I think, to a lot of people was the fact that he has been the leading breeder in the country. And I understand numbers that... Um, you know he breeds a tremendous amount of horses for his own account, but when Jason and I started for him, we would claim broodmares for him. And I remember we claimed some horses that, like, you would look at them, and there's zero chance that you would ever say, "Oh, I want that horse as a mare." They would be crooked, they would be small, they would be backwards. But he had a, a um, he had a formula that he wanted. He, he wanted a certain amount of pedigree in the first two dams, and he wanted uh, speed. He wanted horses that had speed. And even if they only had speed for a half of a mile, uh, that that's what he was he, he wanted. So we would claim horses. And I remember asking, Mr. Ramsey, do you want me to look at some of these horses before we take them, you know, you know just to make sure they're not like, you know, have their legs on backwards? Nope. Just go ahead and take them. We'll, we'll sort it slip. out. We'll drop the slip. Exactly. And... Uh, those mares were the foundation um, <laughs> for, for his breeding program. And we're not talking like these weren't $100,000 claims or $75,000 claims. I'm talking about $5,000. I'm talking about ten, twelve, fifteen thousand. dollars $15,000. And these type of mares, hard-knocking mares, and he bred them to his stallions. And um, it worked. It, it, it just the sheer volume of, of, of uh, horses he had enough good horses that come out of those mares that, that, um, that really made, uh, I mean, certainly kittens joy and, and to a lesser extent, Cadianus. Um, they, one thing, came, one thing I do wish Chuck, yes, that we had a lot more kittens joys instead of Gazi. Yeah. We didn't have any kittens joys. We were going by kittens joys. Gazi, yeah, we were, we Gazi was tough. Gazi. It was tough to win races at Saratoga and, and Keeneland <laughs> with Gazi's. And, uh, Cadianus too. I mean, he was a, he was a good, Solid sire, but you know I, more with New York bred types. 
I was surprised when he was the leading sire in New York. I was surprised that Mr. Ramsey brought him back to Kentucky. I, I would have thought he brought him back, but you know what? He has his re- reasons and he does things. He does things his, his own way, and and I give him credit <laughs> for that because uh, you know he he will admit when he's wrong, but uh, he, he does things his own way. And and to become the leading breeder um, using that, and, and and remember, kittens joy is a homebred. Kittens yeah. joy is a homebred. He didn't he didn't go out and uh, he, he's not a guy that went out and spent uh, money buying mares. He's bought mares, but he doesn't go out and buy. Uh, you know, million dollar mares. It doesn't, you know, for a million dollars, he gets 25 mares. So, uh, I give him a lot you of credit know, for that. You know, Kit, you know, Kitten's joy is for real. When you see the European people buying horses by him, that's the telltale, you know, how good of a turf sire he really is. Even, even now, I mean, he's, he's getting up there in age and he's still the leading turf sire in America, like by a long ways. Yeah, no, he's a, Tremendous turf, sorry. You know, turf influence. All turf, though. Yeah, a lot of turf. Well, uh, Saturday's card at Pimlico has a lot of turf. I talked briefly. Good card. Good card. It really was. I I wasn't sure. I I wasn't sure what to expect because of all the other, um, you know, competitive uh, races in, or competing races in New York and then... uh, in Kentucky, that Keenan, uh, yeah, Keeneland opening too, you know. Yeah, I, I thought that uh, it might might it, be watered down. It might be, but it, it's a really good card of races, and, and uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've gone over the Preakness a couple times. And Preakness is a good race. I think it's a good race. I think that obviously, you know, the, the horses that are coming out of the Derby. You know, the winner, obviously. I mean, I I really think if Art Collector is right, and judging off the work that he's been putting up at Churchill, he looks like he's on his game. I think he can put, up a, put in a big effort here. I really do. I'm hopeful, at least. Let me ask you now. You're a professional... You're a professional jockey. <laughs> Use that loosely. <laughs> yes. You're a professional jockey agent. You get paid to, to, to agent the jockeys. Gary. Put yourself in the shoes of Brian Hernandez and Tommy Drury. What, knowing, I, I thought, I, I said this to Tom, the previous guest, I think some of the tactics that, that happened in the Derby were, number one, a lot of the speed horses type scratched. Uh, King Guillermo, especially drawn inside, would have definitely been a speed horse um, or, or shown speed. And, and Art Collector not being in there, and then Thousand Words, who's not technically a speed horse, but he's going to be in the mix somewhere. Um, and then you know Paco on on New York traffic, kind of swerving all over the place and <laughs> not going in a straight line. That's the first time that's happened. I think that people thought that Authentic wasn't going to get the mile and a quarter anyways. And oh, and I think that that's, nobody thought he was. That, that's why they kind of left him alone out there and people didn't challenge him, um, namely, uh, you know, Tiz the Law and Manny Franco. But, um, I mean, you know, Manny Franco said it at the at – the, at the three ace pole, I thought I was going to run by him in the stretch, and and he never he never really could get to him. But going into the Preakness, obviously he can do the distance. We know he can get the distance. So drawing outside of horses that that might be showing speed, what would your take be on on, on Art Collector? Um, 
would you try to keep Johnny parked out as far as you can into the turn? Or, you know, would you just kind of concede the lead to, to him and then try to, to, to lap on, a, uh, on his flank? Well, most importantly, Chuck, he's going to have to break sharply because he's inside of all the speed. So he's going to have to establish position into the first turn, which is going to be incredibly important for Brian Hernandez. And then you're going to just look to your outside to see what's going on. If, if the speed materializes from the outside, like one would think, you know, New York traffic is probably going to leave out of there, authentic is going to leave out of there, then you can get yourself a nice cozy three-hole. That, that, would, that would be appetizing. Well, even with Swiss Skydiver, I'm, I'm sure that McPeak wasn't happy with his position in the Oaks being inside yeah. of, of Gamline with, you know, kind of being locked in. Um, right. if, if it was a trotting race, it would have been a perfect position, but it's a thoroughbred race spot. Um, you know, like, she's another one that's kind of ha- has enough speed to, to make her uh, dangerous. Yeah, she'll probably, cover, she'll probably cover up our collector and be, like, fourth outside, you know, would be my best guess. An important factor, Chuck, is the Pimlico strip. It played on the quick side last week. Speed did very well. Yeah. So that's something that you're going to want to watch this week. It doesn't mean that it's a guarantee to happen again, but you do have to watch that. True. Well, uh, this is something we talked about earlier, was that the propensity of racetracks to change on big days um, yeah, you just gotta watch. Is something watch. that uh, you know is, is kind of a, a phenomenon over the last uh, I don't know however many years, but um, it, it does it does play a factor. And I mean, we can't tell right now what um, you know what it's going to be playing like. We're just going to no. you know make that assumption that it's going to be playing speed. And, and I mean, yeah, educated guess. Pimlico being a, you know playing a little speedy is not like out of the realm of, of possibilities. No, um, not at all. They're, they're calling for some showers there on Friday, but Saturday is supposed to be clear uh, clear and cool. Uh, the high is okay, only good, supposed good. to be 66 degrees, which That's good. Which will, which will actually make for, for a you know, perfect weather, especially if they, if they get no rain. Hopefully they get no rain. On yeah, a, it's been real humid here, so that'll be a welcome addition. Uh, uh, I think hey, well, that, Chuck, what do you make of Mr. Big News? who came up with a huge race in the Derby. I don't really know where it came from, but it was a big effort. Can he run back to that race? I'll be honest, Jay. I, I just ignore him. And if he beats me, he beats me. Um, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I, I mean, <laughs> That was an eye-opener, you it, have it, to say. He, at the quarter pole, he looked like he might run by them all. And I was like, who the hell is that? And it's like, holy crap, yeah. it's that big news horse. I didn't even, we did the preview. I didn't even talk about him. I was like, ah, yeah, I don't know why this horse is in the race. He has no shot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Brett Calhoun's good. When a horse gets good, yeah. he can keep him in form. No, Brett Calhoun's a really good trainer. He's a really good, he's a really good trainer that's always kind of operated um, out of the mainstream and, because he's never been big in New York. He's never been big in California and, uh, you know, or, or Gulfstream or Florida. He, he's never, you know, at the, "Quote unquote glamour meets," but the guy does a really, really good job for a long, long time. But what um, about a horse like Pneumatic Chuck? He's a colt that I was always high on. His Pegasus was strong against, uh, you know, not a stellar group. You know, he did beat you know Jesus's team and a nice colt from Mike Pino named Archon, who's lightly raced and might be a one you know to keep an eye on down the road. 
Do you think that he could class up with these? I, I don't really like him. I just think, you don't like any of my horses. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you, but honestly, I, I think that Pneumatic would be a perfect horse. For the Pennsylvania Derby, yeah, but they're not yeah, running it this year. There is, year. <laughs> there yeah. is I don't know what kind of trip he gets from out there. I, I just, yeah, he's going to get hung out. He's going to have to give ground. I mean, he, he, you know, you're going to need the, not going to get a good. Trip. You're going to need the race of a lifetime out of the horse. And if he was going to sit, and if he drew inside and he was going to sit, maybe hey, they might be three across, going a little faster than they want to go. He, he might be able to sneak through. But I just I look at him and I, I think all these horses want to be in the same position. He's either going to have to take back and be eighth and save ground on the turn, or he's going to get hung wide. And I don't know that he hasn't, to me, he hasn't proven he's good enough to be hung wide and beat these horses. I agree. I agree. Um, I, I really, uh, the horse outside of him, I, I, don't, I thought. He really doesn't like dirt in his face. If you watch the replay of the gym, Dan, he got caught down on the inside, and he shuffled back almost like out of the race. And then once he got outside at the quarter pole, he came with a serious run late, uh, you know, to just miss against Mystic Guide, who tripped out that day with blinkers on for the first time, and he just couldn't get up. And this this cult is improving. He is. I I, I do think so. To be honest, I think uh, Mr. Brew should be looking to the grass with that horse. That horse has a grass. Yeah, pedigree. you know what, Chuck? It's funny that you say that, because I told him the same thing, and he said he put the horse on the grass, and he... He absolutely hated it. <laughs> I don't know. He's, he, don't know. he certainly he's has. A, he I know. he I seems know. very, very much uh, to be. Yeah. I mean, he, he, the distance, I don't think, will be the problem with that horse. He certainly seems no. like he's a horse that the distance yeah. is not going to be an issue. Again, he's another one. What kind of trip is he going to get? And is he good enough? I just don't know. And No, he's going to have to give ground for sure on, on at least one turn. Yeah, and that, that's going to be. Um, Maybe two. I don't see this field, and listen, like it'll probably wind up being like strung out all over the place. Because, but it seems like we're going to have um, maybe three across, and maybe three three across behind those those horses. And it, it's well, thousand uh, words might show speech. That's what I mean. That thousand words is going to be in that same position that our collector wants to be, that Swiss Skydiver wants to be in, and Matic wants to be in, and. They can't all be there, you know. They they can't all be yeah. in that same spot. Uh, yeah, something's got to. And, and Max Player, we're, I mean, Max Player probably will be in that that the back of that second tier, and he's kind of an interesting horse. It was funny because everybody, he was a, a little bit of a wise guy horse in the Derby, and I really didn't like him in the Derby. I, I just didn't think that. Um, yeah. I didn't think he was experienced enough. I didn't think he was good enough, and I didn't like the trainer change. Not that I have a problem with the trainer change, but I. You know, at that late of a of a, um, there's just not much you can do with a new horse when you're getting them into your barn for the first time. When you're going into a race like the Derby, you know, you can't do a, you can't find all that much out about them because hell, you work too fast, then you get in trouble. You work too slow, then you get in trouble, and you know, you're just trying to feel them out while you're going into the biggest race of the horse's career. It's a tough spot to put a trainer in because you you know you're not used to the horse and. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like it was a little bit of a hostile takeover. So I'm not sure how much information that they really gleaned from from the prior connection. So, and, and even then, I mean, you know, like every trainer sees things in a little different fashion. So, and everybody does things differently. It just is hard to 
to see a horse at that late of a date kind of change hands. And, and, and uh, now he's had him for a month. So um, I noticed he did work him a, a little bit stiffer going into this race than he had going into the Derby. So uh, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, Steve's got <laughs> – I kind of tried to make a case for the horse on the rail to be a clunk up third in the race just because I figure everybody else is going to be gunning you know, for position. They're going to get guys hung wide and might maybe get uh, – uh, involved in some speed duels and, and maybe he could just sit in the back and make that one run and, and be the Mr. Big News of, of the Preakness and, and be third at 70 to one. Yeah, he's definitely fresh. Hasn't been out since the Rebel where he ran a really good second to Nadal. I mean, he's going to be a big price. That race was on a slop and I think that horse really likes the slop, Chuck. So on a dry track, I just don't know. you know. But I understand what you're saying about you know saving ground inside you know, maybe getting some kind of trip. The thing about Max Player Chuck is he's always going to be up against it pace-wise because he's a one-run type. He's very lackadaisical early. And he's a cult that's still kind of learning. He's kind of gawky, Chuck. I mean, he just hasn't really put it all together yet. But no, not to him. He's always trying. And yeah, I guess he could get a slice, you know. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting race. It really is because the tactics of so many horses are similar. So it's going to be kind of a a jockey's race. And when you're going in, when you have the spotlight of a of a classic race, a Grade One, a million dollar race, or whatever, two million dollar race, and you have all these younger guys who aren't used to riding in these races, they might you know they might feel a little of the pressure. Of sure. of uh, of you know overthinking it a little bit because hey you know this is the first time they've gotten shot in this type of race on national television and you know you just don't see Preakness's run with so so many inexperienced jockeys at this level and that's kind of an X factor in that you don't know um, you know how that's going to play either because you know the guys that ride these races all the time they're, they're yeah they're bigger races but. These guys ride these races all the time, so it's not as big of a deal for them, and, and they know they're not going to lose them out. Some of these guys, they know this is going to be a one-shot deal, so you know whatever they can do is is uh, is good. And, and I like the fact I, I really I, I like the fact that sure. that some of these guys are getting a chance because of uh, the jockeys being spread out all over the place. Um, and, and it's not just that race. I mean, you look at some of the other races on the undercard. Some of these guys are, are getting to ride and. Uh, quality graded stake type horses race after race after race and uh uh you know this 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 is a a good challenge for for them and uh you know kind of see see who wants to, to to be able to play at this level what were your thoughts on the black eyes Susan? that was a little more clear i don't know anything i i know that i don't like truth hurts at all but um the rest of them i have no idea yeah, I just thought Bonnie South probably has that field over the back. She <laughs> yeah, she looks good. I, I just was, I was breaking Chad Summers' chops, but um, yeah, she she seems like she's. Uh, I, I mean, you look at she looks odds on in that this race, and if you think yeah. about had Swiss Skydiver opted for here, she would be one to two, right? I mean, she would be a, a huge favorite in this race. Yeah, she actually gave, you know ran a good race in the Alabama. She was running on strongly through the lane, and this race looks like there's a lot of speed, you know, on paper. And if that materializes, that should set up a late run. It should. It should. 
Um, the only question mark I have with her is is the cutback from a mile and a quarter to a mile and an eighth. Sometimes, sometimes it gets you know it'll dull them a little bit, but um, yeah, but, she's been working pretty sharp, Chuck. So I think she'll be on her game. You know, if if you make her the winner, I mean, I give like eight horses a chance to be second in this race. Yeah, I mean, second. There's a lot of like cool stories in there. Like I know Dream Marie was nowhere in the Oaks, but she's a really great story. She broke her maiden for twenty thousand at Calder in November, and she's been second in the Delaware Oaks and fourth in the Monmouth Oaks. I mean, that's just an amazing story. You know, she's my great <laughs> Yeah, really. You know, we got. Uh... Uh, you know Tony Margotta's horse, who looked real good at Monmouth, and uh, you know kind of threw a clunker in in the, in the Oaks. And she may not quite be good enough to to be that kind of horse, but um, um, the, you know there's a lot of horses that that run good all the time in here, and and that's it's it's a consistent field of horses, and uh, I mean that's really like you go through some of these races, and and I, I you know I harp on it a lot. Especially in New York and California, in these greatest stake races, we see these four and five horse fields with these odds on horses, and it gets monotonous and it's boring. And these are really good races. There's not a lot of odds on horses in, in this on no, this card. No. It's competitive, no. and, and it's kind of like a flashback to how how things used to be, um, where, where you got where you didn't always have a three to five shot. You didn't always have. Uh, a five horse field you know sometimes a short field can be a screwy race too because horses are, are taken out of um their normal style because it's uh, of the shortness of the field and maybe the lack of speed in a race or something like that like if you look about you know talking about thousand words thousand words was on the lead in 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 the um the, the shared belief and i mean that's a horse that really doesn't show much speed but he just found himself on the lead because it was a four horse race and uh honor ap broke broke bad and and the other two horses really weren't had didn't have any speed and it's just sometimes these short fields don't give you you know the truest result is vegas taking bets on where he'll be saddled because i'm going uh infield <laughs> somewhere where there's there's a lot of room <laughs> you know the pin you know what i want to give those guys a tip Keep that horse moving. Don't stop him. Yeah, you know what? He he, he kind of he's like a strength and honor. <laughs> strength and honor yeah. was a horse we had that was just had screw loose in his head, and he was he was, he was the only horse I one time <laughs> we saddled him for a race, and he gave us all kinds of trouble. And um, the he the, the, um, the paddock judge came up to me and said, "You're on the paddock list." And I said, Thanks. I said, what's yeah. the what's the paddock list? <laughs> I have no idea what that is. You have to school this horse in the paddock. I was like, well, I ain't, I said we school him in the paddock all the time. It doesn't help. It makes him worse, you know. But I'll do it because you're telling me I got to do it. But that that's yeah, fine. Then he, when you school him, he anticipates it. Yeah. So um, we had to we had to bring him back like two weeks later, and we schooled him, and we we finally figured out the way to to get him saddled was we got both outrider ponies, and they kind of like made a V and we stuck him in the middle and he didn't know which one to like savage. So by the time he was choosing like which horse he was going to attack or, or do anything, we'd get the saddle on him. And, and then of course it was always an adventure once the saddle was on him to keep, keep track of him. But, uh, but he was as fast as he was, man, you, you put up with the, you put up with the antics for horses that, that can run. And, uh, I mean, yeah. thousand words certainly can run, but, uh, um, 
you, you know, sometimes horses will lose it in the paddock where, where they just get so worked up. Um, I remember oh, yeah. Coronado's Quest. Remember he got loose at Gulfstream in the paddock yeah, and I, ran, I, ran. I worked. I worked with him his whole two year old year. Yeah, he ran through the middle. I was. I was. I don't remember what what race it was. I don't remember. I remember being in the paddock and thinking, "Holy crap!" <laughs> there goes Coronado's Quest, and he just remember he ran right. It was the old Gulfstream, and he ran right yeah. right out the, right down the tunnel. Then his three-year-old year, that was like what you're talking about. He got real sour, man. They had to like chase him with a buggy whip just to go to the track. I was like, oh, this is good. You know what it was, Chuck? That horse couldn't breathe, and he got real claustrophobic. And when he didn't want to do something, he just shut it down, man. He froze up. He was a smart horse. I'll give him credit. You know, it's funny because um, sometimes... Everybody wants a smart horse, but sometimes it's not exactly the the, the best thing because they figure things out. And, exactly. And um, you don't want a horse that's scared of everything because no, you can't control so much if a, a, a piece of paper blows out in front of you and they you know they no. they flip and go the other way. But sometimes the smart horses are the ones that kind of figure out they're going to get fed even if they don't run any good. It's a it's a dichotomy that that you just kind of you know you want them dumb enough where where they they're just going to run like crazy for you, but you want them you know smart enough where they're not going to like act totally totally retarded. But uh, yeah, put in mind something in the middle, like you said. Yeah, it's it's tough, and and you know like when you train good horses, the horses like Shug and Baffert and and and, and um, you know the top trainers, the pressure to um, to not geld a horse. Is is so strong because the people are paying big money for these horses, and they're not paying big money because they want to make it as a racehorse. They're all wanting to make stallions, and and um, there's so many horses. You go back in history. I mean, Woody Stevens' famous quote: "If if he had gelded every colt he ever had, he would have only made two or three mistakes." And <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you go back and like we talked about in the beginning, so many stallions fail, but. There are so many examples of horses like Strength and Honor, like we talked about him. He, he, the first day we had him, he came back in and he had had surgery. And, and another trainer had him as a two year old at Belmont. And he had knee surgery and he came into us at the fairgrounds. And Scott Cole was working for me, and Scott was a, a cowboy and he was a he was a wiry guy, but he was strong. He was really really strong. He was a strong rider. And we sent him out Strength and Honor's first day on the racetrack. He he ran around the fairgrounds three times on the inside rail the wrong way. He couldn't pull him up. This was his first day training. He, you know, and you know, I, I called the vet and, and I, uh, Doctor Begay, and I said, I want you to geld that horse like right now. And he said, Well, you can't do it right now. I said, Why? He goes, You can't do it now, Chuck. He's, he just ran, you know, three miles. I said, Well, as soon as you can do it, you geld him before anybody talks <laughs> me out of this. <laughs> and then the outrider came over and says. Uh, that horse, pony, tranquilizer, geld, or you're barred from the track. So, so yeah. he uh, he lost. That made his... Yes, but he wound it wound up making him so much of a better horse. I mean, uh, yeah. what better example than uh, they had the John Henry Turf uh, Championship the other day? What, what what better example of of a gelding of a horse turned a horse around completely than John Henry? Um, I mean, you look at John Henry's race record; it, it just like now it doesn't even seem possible. <laughs> a guy on Twitter said something about uh, you know they ducked the handicap races. I said John Henry carried more than more than 126, not 126, more than 126, like 13 or 
uh, 13 what times. He, he carried on. What, what, what did he carry in his last race in the balance? 120, I think 128. I mean, come on. He carried 133 times. He carried 129 three or four times. I mean, God, it's just like crazy to think. And when you look at at the fact that he ran on the turf and the dirt, and he was a little bit better on the turf than he was on the dirt, but he was still a grade one winner, uh, uh, and not like a grade one winner. He was like a 15-time grade one winner. Yeah, he was just a tremendous horse. Oh, man. I mean, anybody that knows John Henry just doesn't like horses. <laughs> I mean, he's one of the greatest stories in the game. I think they even might have made a movie about him. Listen, man, I'm not the most sentimental guy when it comes to horses because they're around so, you know, especially these days because they're not there that long. And and um, I, I had a poster of John Henry um, <laughs> when I was in college. He was he was my you know that was my horse. I, I he was the horse that even though he didn't win all the time and he won a lot, but. Um, you know, horses were a little more brilliant than him, and, and then yeah, he he was, yeah, yeah. Know. He wasn't flashy. He wasn't like a real. Flashy he, he was a horse. grinder too. I mean, he would just and he was not, nothing to look at. You no, know? I mean, like you he, know, he was just a plain horse. And, and you know, he he was just a, a grinder. Like the, yeah. the the Arlington Millions, he won. He just oh, wouldn't the bar, lose. That was one of the greatest finishes of all time. Still, some people still think the bar won that. You know, sometimes uh, I get accused of being like an old curmudgeon and say, ah, but God, I go, people don't understand how great racing used to be when horses ran a lot and when everything wasn't dictated by by going to stud and, and, and things like that. And, and I understand why people do it. I mean, money is money is money, and even rich people like making money. But And, and I don't think the horses these days, could they couldn't keep up with a, a John Henry-type schedule. You just couldn't do it. I mean, we, you know, we we play, dirt. like look look at Swiss Skydiver. I mean, this is her ninth start of the year, and then she's races a different track all over the place. And you know, she the, I commend them for for taking that uh, that stance and going everywhere and 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 fighting every fight because that's uh, you know that that's what horses used to do all the time. And you know, I tell people, look at Swiss Skydiver's record. Could you imagine if there was ten horses around that did that same thing? And, and sprinters and, and colts and turf uh, colts and, and Philly. I said, that's what we used to have. That's why we say, you know, we, we, we kind of roll your eyes when, when everybody thinks that the next horse they saw is like the greatest horse ever. And it's like, well, the horses run like one good race or two good races. So, you know, let's, let's, let's hold on, you know, let's, let's hold the, the phone a little bit because, uh, because that, uh, yeah, that's in the past, and and it's uh, you know it is what it is, and we have to, to appreciate what we have now, and we can't really compare horses to those type of horses, um, because um, you know it's not going to happen, and and horses just can't, they just can't do it, Jay, and that's what I've tried to tell people. It's not the way we train them. The way we train them is in response to the way the horses react to the training. And it's just not uh, horses; just aren't as, as as solid as they used to be. I mean, Alan Jerkins told me and uh, told me told everybody in the in the nineties that the horses in the nineties weren't. Uh, so he used to said, "If I train horses now like I trained in the sixties and seventies, people would shoot me. They'd they'd say, What are you nuts? You can't do that. You can't you know you work horses a mile and an eighth a week before the race.' 
workhorses five eighths two days before the race. You know, you, you couldn't do it nowadays. But um, and that that was that was twenty five years ago. So yeah, it's funny. You used to always tell me like, how come everybody only works a half out five eighths? Nobody works three quarters or seven eighths or a mile. <laughs> and he's right. If you look now, whoever works past five eighths. Well, you know that's one of the things that Baffert has the luxury of doing. He's got so many good horses, and he knows no matter what, his barn is going to be full of them the next year. And he trains them hard. And one thing you can say about him, and people can you, listen, you can say whatever you want about Baffert. You might like him, you might not, not like him. You might think he does this, you might think he does that. He does get a lot of, um, you know, he does have a lot of issues. But the fact of the matter is, he does not run short horses. <laughs> you know, no. When, no. when his horses are entered in the race, they are not short, they are fit. And, uh, that that's something that that we used to do, and we used to see more of. Um, we used to see more um, horses that are, that were were drilled, and we're talking about Scotty Schulhofer the other day about how he used to work horses every five days. That was his pattern. Horses would work on the the fifth, the tenth, the fifteenth, the twentieth, the twenty fifth. It didn't matter if it was raining or, or sunny or or whatever. That that was how he trained his horses, and yeah. A massive amount of success doing that, and if he tried that today, um, unless he was breezing a half mile and fifty four, it would probably not be. Um, it would probably not be very successful. And uh, I talked to Barry, you know, with Barry last night about. Uh, Barry brought up the training differences between Jason Service and Bob Baffert in regards to maximum security, and I, I said, you know. Those are like the opposite ends of the spectrum, and Jason would he would barely breathe the horse. I mean, the works he would have were were barely clockable, and Baffert is like the opposite, where his horses are are put to the test and and they're asked to work fast. And you know, California trainers have always worked horses harder and faster than Easter Coast trainers. A lot of ways, because of the race tracks, the way they used to be, the West Coast tracks were always fast, and you needed to do more work with them. The East Coast tracks were deeper, and you didn't need to do quite as much work. But um, it is an interesting. Everybody wants to talk about drugs, 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 drugs. But the the interesting dichotomy of the two different training methods is that they are on the opposite ends of the spectrum, and it's it's hard not to say that of his three races. Uh, with Baffert, that the race he looked the best in was the race he also got the easy pace and easy lead, and he should have run best. And his other two races, I mean, the first race was kind of an oddly run race, but the other day, he, he never really looked like a winner at any point in the race. I mean, he never like... No, he was all in. Yeah, he, he never was... You would think that, I mean, the horse on the lead was kind of a... a not, not a bad horse, but, you know, a dead one-run horse that, that wasn't probably good enough. And the horse from Texas clearly wasn't, uh, you know, of the the class of of maximum security or, or improbable. But but um, you know, maximum security never looked like oh, like uh, you know, okay, here he goes. He's going to switch leads and, and and take off. I mean, he struggled to get by the the first two, and they finally just stopped. And then you know, Victor Espinosa was was inexplicably decided to be five wide the whole race. I have no idea what he was thinking of. But I mean, since since his race in Saudi, nothing's come easy for him. No, no, no. not that anything ever really came easy for him. Uh, you know, he just looked a lot more fluent. I, I do. You know, I did remind someone the other day we were talking about. I said, you know, Midnight Bisu 
she had she didn't win any races either when she came back from Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah, well, you know, it takes the toll on those horses, Chuck. I mean, anybody that doesn't think going around halfway around the world with a horse, you know, giving an all-out effort and then coming back somewhere down the line, it, it's going to come back to haunt you, Chuck. That it does, Jay. That it does. And uh, listen, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, you got any any steam this weekend? You, you guys got any big mounts coming up? Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about uh, a horse coming from Argentina named Masterpiece for the Joe Hirsch for Chad Brown. Nice. Excellent. Mm. Masterpiece. Like Master P. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened to Master P? I don't know. He went to try out for the NBA or something, I think right? he, he might have made enough money. He doesn't have to do anything anymore. Maybe Barry played him one-on-one somewhere. Barry might have embarrassed. I got, I got to find out. We, we got to put Barry on. Like, find Master P. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a good one for guys. <laughs> All right, well, good luck with that, Jay, and, and uh, I'm happy that we didn't induce any storms for you. And uh, um, well, I would like love to have you back on for uh, our, our pre Breeders Cup show and uh, kind of go over the races then. Okay, anytime. Hopefully, I have a female. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason. Thank you. All uh, right, be good, Chuck. Yes, sir. That was uh, Jason Bidas, uh, Jose Lescano's agent. Uh, one of the sh- astute observers of the game, uh, Jason is uh, has been a friend of mine for a long, long time, and, and uh, he's as, as sharp as anyone is a- at analyzing, watching races, and, and uh, you know keeps an open mind. A lot of people are very easily swayed and very easily biased, but uh, but Jay calls him as he sees him, and uh, him and Jose Lescano have had a long, long, long-standing relationship. Uh, they had a a brief period where they split up for a little bit, but uh, Jose has gone back to, to Jay, and they've done great. And I mean, he 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 first got Jose Lescano. He he was a Calder. He had lost his bug. He wasn't hardly riding anything anywhere. I mean, he could have been one of these guys that didn't make it. They wound up being an exercise rider, and Jason took him, and uh, he went to Tampa Bay, and they did very well. He went to Tampa. He was uh, oh, excuse me, um, did well. At Tampa did, went to Monmouth. Wound up being leading rider, upset Joe Bravo, and uh, wound up you know going to New York, and has been a solid top ten rider in New York for uh, for a, a couple decades. So we'll definitely have Jason back on. Um, 